0: Well, here we are, another new series, a series that I think every single person can relate to, whether they're young or old, whether they've been in the church a long time, never stepped foot in the church. Uh, It's a word that many of us have used to describe many different experiences, many different feelings. Um, And if you were to poll most people, most of us would have a different answer in describing what love is outside of the Word of God. As we begin this morning, I just want to preface this by anybody that's here or watching online. Um, if you're going to get the full context, you need to listen to the whole series. Um, because if you just take what I say this morning, you're going to assume that this is all there is and that's how we're going to define love. And I promise you there's a lot more to this series than just this one sermon. So I want you to take the whole sermon in, in a series um, and not just take snippets out of context. It's very easy to do that. Um, a lot of us uh, see that in the news every week. Um, that's why it's called fake news by some people. Um, but the reality is, is I just want you to make sure you take the series as a whole. Don't take it in pieces. Take it as a whole, um, and you'll get a better picture overall. And that would be the equivalent of you taking some letter that someone wrote to somebody and cutting half of it out and saying that that's all there was to the letter when they may have something else at the end. So I want to make sure, like I said, I preface that right up front so that I'm not misquoted uh, and statements are not made out of context. So as we start this morning, um, as I said earlier, if you were to ask most people today what they think love is, you would have as many varying answers as you have people. Uh, The word has been used in many different contexts and the meaning is different based on what people's experience has been many times. Uh, In fact, we say we love food, but we don't mean the same thing when it comes to our children. You know, we we mean two different things if we say we love, you know, let's say I love steak and I love Luke. It's different, okay? It's not the same thing. At least I hope we mean two different things there. That would be a problem. Uh, The word has been used in many different ways and sadly cheapened to a mere feeling one feels in the moment. Uh, God meant for us to understand what love is because he is love, as we just read earlier Um, in Scripture, and Scripture tells us that throughout. The problem for most of mankind lies in the fact that we all have our preconceived notion of what love is, and we define it through that lens. Uh, The purpose of the series is really to give you a clear understanding of what love is and the many ways it has been defined from the Word of God, and also comparing that to how culture has defined it. So we want to make sure we get a big picture um, as to what the Word is and how it's been used, um, and really kind of clear up some misconceptions if possible. We believe that the word of God is the authority that we are to to follow. The Bible is made up of 66 books, which which makes up our Bible, if you will. The word comes from biblion, which means book or scroll. Greek Christians called the scriptures uh, tabiblia, which means the books. The singular translation came into the English throughout Latin as Bible. Uh, There are 39 books in the Old Testament, which means covenant. Testament means covenant, which was preserved by the Jewish community and translated into the Greek, also known as the Septuagint. The New Testament is made up of 27 books, which was preserved by the followers or disciples of Jesus in the first century. Uh, We believe the Word of God is inspired, it's God-breathed, and has greater authority than any other writing on this earth. Uh, we believe that, the, that Jesus Christ came to send sin, sinful man and did not come just to show us a better way, but declared that he is the way. Um, apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, man has failed to live up to his standard and will keep failing to reach perfection um, till we pass from this life. If it were not for God's love for us in sending Jesus Christ on our behalf, we would be hopeless and lost and on our way to hell. We believe that God offers us the free gift of salvation that cannot be earned by any means, but rather through faith and repentance, believing God is who he says he is, and turning from trusting in ourselves, because we all think we're the commanders of our own destiny, we put our faith and trust in Christ, and turn and change our direction from ourselves as the Savior to Jesus being the Savior. Uh, We surrender to him because God himself, who is love, gave us Jesus to demonstrate that. In fact, we, what we read earlier emphasizes this again. We're going to read it one more time. First John 4, 7-11 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is from this worldview that we will start this series, and we know all of us will have preconceived notions regarding what love is based on what we've read, listened to, or even experienced. Nevertheless, our views regarding love outside of the word of God will at times be incomplete and flawed There will be things we get right from time to time regarding love, but our perception will only be as accurate as our attention to the details found in God's Word. Today we'll be looking at two of the four words uh, that are commonly uh, used from ancient times in Greek, um, and really some of the words are found in Scripture uh, of what love really is and how it's described. There are more words than that we're not really going to dig into, uh, some of the other offshoots of that, uh, but really we're going to focus in on mainly four in fact, one of the words is not even found in Scripture, but found in writings outside the Word of God, though the meaning is implied throughout the Word. Uh, before we do so, I, I want to I start off by kind of, um, if you will, seeing what children think of what love is. You know, people ask children, what do you think love is? Uh, here are some of the responses. I thought these were really neat. Uh, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. This is Terry, a four-year-old girl. Uh, Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. That's Danny at age seven. Love is when you kiss all the time, then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. That's that's Emily at age eight. Uh, When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's Billy at age four. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> That's Carrie at age five. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's Chrissy at age six. So I thought that was really neat, you know, ask, asking children what love is, and they have totally different views of that. You, see, you notice how experience has a lot to do with, with what, what these children perceived love was. Um, here's, here's what Wikipedia actually defines love as. It's interesting how they, how they did this. They said, love is difficult to define. How do you avoid confusing it with infatuation or lust? Philosophers and psychologists both have attempted to define love, per least its difference from infatuation and lust. If you're looking to find love, the following observations may be helpful. So they give you kind of some guidance. Love is more than a risk but is a risk that one can take and grasp and fall into a dark abyss or dig oneself a hole and only crawl back when you overcome your emotions. How can one truly define what love is? Not even an experienced person can truly grasp or explain love to its truest and deepest meaning. Its concepts are just a never-ending story of an open book of experiences. But love does lie in one's heart where memories are but shadows lingering in your soul. So, we see that love is just not that easy to define even for Wikipedia. You know, you you figure, hey, you know, let's check Wikipedia, they might have something. In fact, it's implied that you really can't define it by them. Uh, Our goal today is to start to clear up some of the confusion and see if we can get a better understanding of the word through what cultures have thought of love, and also uh, to examine and see what God says about love. The first word we're going to look at today has been defined as love for centuries is the word eros. Okay? It's the first word, eros. A couple facts about this word. Number one, this is a word we define by erotic or romantic feelings we have for someone. Uh, It's a very prevalent word that most of cultures throughout history have understood. Um, We we haven't had to write books on this. People just know that this exists. You have families, okay? You have kids. Should I say more? Um, This is a common definition of love when we tell others we are in love. So this is, a, this is an idea of, you know, uh, a man and a, and, and a woman getting together. They, they date and they tell everybody they're in love and they're going to get married. So uh, this is really a view that is almost exclusively based on emotions. Um, this is that, you know, that fast heartbeat that someone has because they're around that person that they claim they're in love with. You know, and it just doesn't stop. Oh man, you know, I can't, I can't wait to be around that person again. Um, this word for love is actually not found in the Greek translation of Scripture. Though Christians and non-Christians alike have viewed and still view love through this lens. In fact, a lot of, a lot of culture today still views love through that lens. And we're going to see that that's not the only type of love, if you will, uh, that we see. Um, I don't believe God needed to give us an insight into this view of love because it's been prevalent since the beginning of man. I mean, right from the beginning of Genesis, Adam knew Eve. They had children. So I don't think that God had to really give us a lot of explanation on this word because it's been prevalent throughout the beginning of mankind. Um, A few warnings about this view of love, if you will. This view of love can become indistinguishable from lust or passion for someone else because our emotions can change based on circumstances. Have you ever seen that? Uh, Have you ever seen people uh, that truly change their perspective of someone that they supposedly were in love with for a while? Anybody ever seen that? You know, You've seen couples date, and for some reason, they can't stand each other two years later. You know, like it just, it, it, sadly, it happens in marriages too. You know, where people were in love, they, they, they loved being around each other, and their definition of that was romantic feelings. They, they really had a connection there, and as time went on, those feelings faded. Um, and the person then says, I'm no longer in love. Well, the reason for that, some of that, is that this is the most self-centered view of love where our feelings are of highest priority, not the feelings or needs of others. So our feelings are of highest priority in this view of love. Um, you know, If they make me happy, I'm good with them. As soon as that changes, I don't like them anymore, I don't love them anymore. And that's, that's the danger with this view of love. Eros is found on what would benefit us. Once that is gone, the reason for connection is gone. That's one of the dangers with this view of love, is that it's, it's so based on emotion that as soon as the feelings change, our view of love towards that person changes, which is dangerous uh, for all of society. Uh, that's why people say they no longer love someone anymore, because that's the main way that they define love. They looked at it through this lens. Um, eros, or uh, erotic romantic love, is ultimately about what it can get, not what it can give. Most people say, well, you know what, I love this person, that's why. Uh, Well, Eros really is looking through the lens of what does this person offer me in the relationship? Rather than what I offer them in the relationship. And the goal is for my happiness. How many of you know that most people in, in our society want to be happy? Well they the reason why most people want to be happy is they look at love through this lens. What makes them feel the best? And sadly, that's what happens with a lot of marriages, is that based on feelings, when that feeling of, you know, if you will, connection goes away, that intimacy goes away with that individual, then their view of love towards that individual changes. And sadly, that's a lot of our society today. Uh, If it does, if, if this love actually does give, it gives in order to get later. That's the reason why in a lot of relationships... When um, a relationship falls apart in the future, it's because people gave in the beginning in order to get something later. And we're going to talk later on why God's view of love is much higher. It's a higher standard, it's a higher calling than this view of love, which is very emotion-based, it's very temporary. This view of love is conditional. And if the ever-changing conditions are not met, hostility and resentment are sure to follow. You've met people like this. You may, may have been in situations like this, where your view of that person went from, they're so wonderful, to I can't stand them. Stay away from me. I want nothing more to do with you. Why? Because this view of love is shallow. It's very much based on how I feel. And if we're going to base our relationships with others on how we feel, then we're going to have a roller coaster ride throughout life. That is the reason why many marriages in prominent circles fail and people are on third, fourth, fifth marriages in our society, particularly if you look at Hollywood. It's a common standard. Why? Because their view of love is this one. How do we know? Have you watched what people put out in Hollywood? This is their main view of love. Now, before you all freak out, think I'm saying romance is wrong, Scripture is not against romance. Okay, I'm just going to make this statement. I think it's up there, right? Yes, it's not. Okay? Scripture is not against romance. Some of you are like, where's it going? You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. Scripture has a lot to say about romance. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. So Song of Solomon four nine through ten. So scriptures perfectly in line with romance. Okay? I don't want you assuming that this is anti-scriptural. You are handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. You know, some of this might be good for you to kind of memorize. For those of you that are married, yeah. Kiss me, and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. This is Scripture, okay? Uh, these are not writings outside the Word of God. But here's the important thing. Scripture warns us to look out for the needs of others. Philippians 2, 3-4 says this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That includes people in the church and people in your home. The goal is not to just look out for your own interest. It's to look out for the interest of others. That's where thriving marriages are. It's not the spouse demanding something for themselves. It's the spouse giving of themselves for the other. And we're going to see later on why that view of love will last versus the eros view of love, which is very temporary and feelings-based, which change constantly. So final thoughts regarding eros. Romantic uh, feelings toward a spouse are good and appropriate, but if this is the main lens that you look at when it comes to defining love, we'll not have something that lasts. It just won't last. It's impossible. In fact, our feelings are very deceitful. What we feel great about one day, we feel terrible about the next day. That's the reason why you see couples, they spend time together, they enjoy the moment, and then the next day there's regret for some reason. Why? Because it wasn't the proper view of love. This is one of the most selfish views of love, but God wants more for us. If you would look at other ways that the Greeks or Romans define love, you would see words like this. Ludus, which is a a view of teasing or flirting. That's actually a a prevalent view back then. Uh, Or Felucia, which is self-love, which the Greeks actually split into two two different definitions. One is more of a narcissistic view. It's a self-love. It's all about me um, and my priorities everybody exists for me. And then there's another one uh, which is more of an enhanced view uh, of others because I've got a proper view of myself. Um, In fact, Aristotle said this, he said, all friendly feelings for others are an extension of a man's feeling for himself. Um, It's almost the equivalent of what you would define in scripture as loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay? If a person has a proper view of self, now mind you, this has to be from a biblical worldview, so I'm not saying that taking any, any view of yourself is going to be accurate if you're outside the Word of God. So let me make sure I make myself clear on that. But if you have a proper view of yourself in regards to the Word of God, knowing that God loves you, God's given His Son for your, on your behalf, then you're going to have a proper love for other people as well. That's the way Scripture presents it. So, that's the first view of love. The second view, if you will, is store Uh, Some facts regarding this word. This word for love is defined as familial devotion. Familial devotion. This is the natural affection a father or mother has for their child or children have to their parents. So this is one of those uh, loves that you don't have to explain it. People just know what you mean when you say it. When you see your little baby, boy or girl, you have a sense of love for that child. An instant connection, if you will. Uh, No one has to give you a book on having a love connection with your child. It's naturally ingrained in most of us. The connection is naturally formed through a process of time between parents and children. This is why parents may not be getting along, but they both have a connection with their children because they share a common interest in them, even if they're divorced. You'll see this constantly throughout culture. Even when parents are separated, they still have a common bond and love for their children. Um, and some of you have probably experienced this. Some of you have seen this in your families even. Uh, this, is, this view of love involves emotions, but conditions are usually not attached. In fact, uh, a, a dad or mom uh, that really loves their children, they're going to love them without any concern of what they're doing at that time. And part of that is due to another word we'll deal with later. People just don't realize that that's what they're doing. Um, This view of love involves emotions, but conditions, like I said, are not usually attached. This word is only mentioned a few times in the Bible. Um, Some warnings regarding this word. This view of love is under attack today. In fact, it's under attack in our society where a parent's obligation or affection for their children is questioned. Um, It's sad and tragic that in our culture today, if a parent loves their children... And cares enough to discipline them that 's questioned uh, it 's really a sad reality in our in our culture today that um, we 've really gotten to the point where the culture says you need to let your children do whatever they want um, and let them express themselves any way you want. Scripture clearly tells us foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Scripture clearly tells us that in fact any adult that 's reasonable knows that when they were a six year old they were a brat okay they were they were terribly misbehaved at different times, and then as they were growing out through their teenage years, there's a lot that God had to work out in their lives, especially if they're believers. Um, There's a lot of things that, if we were to be honest with ourselves as a society, we've had culture redefine the word every time differently throughout the centuries. What used to be the standard in our culture for parental love 200 years ago is no longer the standard today. 200 years ago, it was completely normal to do certain things that are not considered normal today. So, like I said, culture is at a battle in what this kind of love is, because what they do is they redefine it based on what's the popular trend at this time. Um, And sadly, what you have is broken homes that result from this. In some cases, this natural affection or obligation is missing in the home, resulting in broken homes. The reason why that happens is because we've let society define what that looks like instead of the God-given, natural affection that every parent has for their children. Every parent knows that discipline is necessary for their children. Culture tells them, don't do it. Every parent knows you should warn your children about dangers regarding drugs and things like that. Society tells them, hey, you know what, here are a couple things that will help you, but you as a parent, don't worry about it, we'll take care of it in school. That's what culture says. Parental love is going to warn the children at home. It's not going to give that authority to someone else. And sadly, this is one of the reasons why children think that society loves them more than their parents. Or the school system loves them more than their parents. Or the government loves them more than their parents. Because this view of love has been under attack for quite some time. Husbands and wives having a romantic or eros' view of love that fades affects also their storge love for their children causing rifts in the home. Parents, your marital relationship connects to your parental relationship with your children. Your relationship with your spouse does affect your children and your love for them. This is the reason why um, there's another word that actually the Greeks used in regards to a marriage that was really just based on pragmatism, just working things out. There wasn't a real genuine connection there, but it was the best for society, it was the best for that spouse to work it out with their spouse so that they would keep the marriage going. How many of you have heard the phrase, stay together for the kids? Well, that's really where that comes from. It's a pragmatic view of marriage. It's a pragmatic view of love. Let's work this out just so we get by. That's not at all what God intended for us. We typically use the New King James here at Sovereign Grace Church, but in this instance, we're going to use the Amplified Bible as it makes the words more clear from the Greek to the English. Look at what Scripture says here. In fact, one of the things that's mentioned is fallacious, self-loved in this text. 1 Timothy 3 says this, But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection. That's really the warning here in this text. Calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of central pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness or religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. Some very strong words there. In the Word of God. God warns us through the Apostle Paul, as he was ready to die as a martyr for his faith, having preached the gospel, that this is the direction that mankind was going to be going. And if we were to be honest, we could say that we are already here today. I don't think we need to wait another 50 years to see if this text applies. I think we're already here. As we work through this series, it's our goal to move from the more selfish view of love to the most selfless form of love. The only reason for this is because it's the love that was demonstrated to us on the cross when Jesus paid for our sin. In fact, let's repeat this text one more time. I want us to drive this home. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All of us know that we think we know what love is, but when <laughs> what we see sometimes is in the morning, if we're left to our own selves, we're really quite selfish people. Jesus Christ came to show us an unconditional love. That's agape, we're going to get to that later on. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, he proves to us that he has and still loves us. So here are the different things regarding the gospel message that I think every person needs to hear. Number one, we're made in God's image. Genesis 1.26 clearly tells us that we're made in the image of God. That means that we are made to worship him. We all worship, it's just a matter of what we worship. I'm going to keep reiterating this till the day I stop preaching. The gospel message, you never get over. You never get over what Jesus has done on your behalf. Because that's the greatest act of love that we've had. We are born sinners due to Adam's fall. We believe this. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men, because all sin. Scripture tells us that we are born sinners... By sinning, it does not make us sinners. We are born sinners. You never need to teach your children to lie. You never need to teach them to steal. You need, never need to teach them to be lazy, to not work hard at something. They do that on their own. Uh, most of those things are not something we need to teach our children. They already have those natural pro- proclivities in them. And so because of that sin nature that we have, we need someone outside of us to save us. Um, and... Not a single one of us can save one another. None of us have something that can save someone else. Uh, we have eternal life if we believe in Jesus Christ. Romans ten nine through 13 says this, That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This right is what we, as a church, can build our whole faith on. That we have trusted Jesus Christ. We've believed the gospel message. We believe that he has given us eternal life. We cannot do anything to earn the status of of sons or daughters, except through faith in the finished work of Christ. There's nothing you and I can do, apart from the word of God, apart from the gospel message of Jesus Christ, to save ourselves. Nothing. We can try all sorts of different methods. We can try to attempt to show love to others. But apart from that, if it's not founded in God's view, and if it's not founded in Christ himself, that form of love will, will fade and it will go away. One of the reasons why, as we finish up this morning, I want to make this statement very clear to everybody. We have been given a tremendous gift in Christ. And sadly, when we think of love, we don't instantly think of Jesus as the first thing. We think of those around us. We think of our spouse. We think of our children. We think of everything else but Him first. Which is tragic. Because what did we read in the text earlier? Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God, for God is what? Love. If you want your definition of love, you need to go to Him. Not any of us in here, not any preacher, not any pastor somewhere, uh, not some famous person that's singing about Jesus, Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself. That's the one we need to look to when it comes to love. Because God demonstrated his love towards us in sending Jesus Christ. The Father loved us so much that he showed us what love is by sacrificing on our behalf when we didn't deserve it. And it's through that lens that we will be able to properly love others. We're going to get to that text later on and we're going to wrap this up later on in the series. But I've got a, a couple things in conclusion this morning. Number one, do you know this God who is love I'm asking because I don't know every person's heart I don't know everybody's relationship with God I'm asking because a lot of us like to be religious if you will and that warning in Timothy is important for all of us to take seriously There's a form of godliness that a lot of people have on this earth. There's a form of religiosity. A form of appearance of knowing God but not knowing Him. And I think that every one of us, if we're not honest with ourselves, we can be deceived. And if we're not careful, we can assume things about ourselves based on certain things we've done throughout the years. But the only faith that really saves is one that's placed wholly, 100%, and what the finished work of Christ is. Not based on anything you've done, not your performance, not your attending church, not your teaching a class or anything like that. 100% is based on the finished work of Christ and Him alone. Your works attached do not institute salvation. They are a result of salvation. They are not salvation of itself. Do not blend the two together, folks. It's very dangerous. And a lot of people, if you were to ask them, how do you know God loves you? They will define it, well, I know he loves me because I feel good this morning. I know he loves me because I listened to this wonderful song on the radio that made me feel better. I know he loves me because everything's fine around me. My finances are okay this month. I know he loves me because my family cares about me still. Folks, that is not the ultimate definition of whether you are loved by God. The ultimate definition is God sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Him, don't wait another day. Repent today. Change your mind about yourself and know that it's Him that does all of that. You can't save yourself. If we could save ourselves, some of us would be, if you will, shown up by other people. Outside the faith. There are plenty of good people, and I mean good in a, in a definition of they are more morally upright than a lot of Christians. But Jesus actually made this statement, I think it's a very powerful statement. He didn't call the righteous. He called sinners to repentance. And that is what we need to be reminded of, folks. Constantly, each and every day. So, do you know who, this God who is love? If you don't, repent today. Ask for forgiveness. Trust Jesus Christ. Believe that he rose from the dead on your behalf. And number two, how much is your love for others defined by what they do for you? Ask yourself that question. How much is your love for others defined by what they do for you? Because if we were to be honest with ourselves, we're quite selfish. We say we love people unconditionally, and it's not even close to the truth. We say that we love people with the love that God has for us. Would we we be willing to lay our lives down for the brethren as Scripture calls us to? And I'm seriously saying this. If someone was to ask you to swap the the punishment for someone else, would you be willing to take it? Would you be willing to take it for a brother or sister in Christ? Because that's the kind of love that God calls us to. Not the kind of love that goes, hey, you know what? You've done this for me, so I'm going to do this for you. And we kind of pat each other on the back and make ourselves feel better because we got somebody a coffee today and we did this other thing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about radical, sacrificial love that we're going to talk about here in the next couple weeks. That's the real view of love that most Christians are still missing because many of them are trapped in Agape. I mean, uh, sorry, Eros and Storge. Those two views of love, though natural, will not make it through at the end. Most parents will still love their kids to a certain extent, but it isn't until you learn the other words for love that you will really have it work together well. In fact, some of the most incredible things that you're going to see in Scripture as we go through it in the next couple weeks is the fact that God's love for us is demonstrated as a father to his children, but it goes beyond storge love. There's another higher calling. So as we close this morning, as I said, if you know this God of love, great. Live passionately for him. Stop taking it for granted that you've been loved by the king. Stop taking it for granted that Jesus died on your behalf. Start loving people based on the love that God has given to you. And if you do, examine yourself. How much of your love for others is based on their love for you. And what they've done for you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I know for many of us, we tend to take for granted the love that you've given to us. Father, I, I know as a parent, sometimes the love that we have for our children is tainted because the world keeps countering what you've given us as the proper method of love in the home. Father, we ask that you would please Help each and every one of us to be so wrapped up in the fact that God has given us Christ. That we would be willing to live our lives sacrificially for others. Without a regard of our own sake and our own wants and desires. Knowing that at the end, you gave of yourself entirely for us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.